few of us have ever seriously felt our life threatened by an outside invader. And even the oldest, oldest of us, thinking back to the days of the Second World War, never seriously thought that this country would be occupied by a foreign power and that we would have to live as so many of our European friends had to live, occupied and almost enslaved. For most of us, the world has been a safe world. Not so for King David. Any reading of the Old Testament makes clear that for a long period of his life, David lived under the threat of Saul's jealousy and anger. And even when he became king himself, he had to fight against the enemies of Israel who always seemed to be knocking at Israel's door. But in the passage that we read this morning, David is feeling good. He has no sense of anxiety, of invasion. He feels safe and settled in the palace. His enemies have been defeated and nothing threatens his sense of well-being. He believes that he also has the assurance from God that his dynasty will continue long after his death, whenever that might be. However, David is conscious that comparison between his circumstances and those in which Israel, led by him, worship God, are not as they might be or as he thinks they could be. And so he consults his religious advisor. When I wrote that, I thought, gosh, am I a religious advisor? And the second thought wasn't a first one. Help me. But David consulted the prophet Nathan. And he asked, he wanted to ascertain whether he would be improving uh, Israel's relationship with God if he went to the trouble of having a beautiful temple built, a temple in which the people of Israel could come together to worship God. He didn't quite think that a tent around a box was good enough for Almighty God. And the prophet's response to this question was, well, God is with you, so go and build your temple, your house for the Lord. You see, Nathan and indeed David assumed that if they did that, God would be pleased. Pleased to have a place where people could come to and worship him 
and know him and that he would know them. It seems that they were thinking that that was absolutely essential and had forgotten that not so very much of their time was spent formally worshipping God, but that they had a whole life to live during the rest of their time with family, with neighbour, at work. A temple? I wonder, would God be pleased? They thought he would. But Nathan and David were wrong. Think again is God's word to Nathan. And it is a mistake to assume that we are always and in every situation to know what God wishes. Over against kings and prophets or anyone else, God resists resists being trapped by human assumptions. God will not be domesticated. God will not become a house. God forever remains free. For he is creator, he is provider, he is heavenly father. He is the one who will bring us to immortality. And we must understand, even if Nathan and David did not, that David's proposed temple was in a way insidious, an insidious way to seek to impose order on God. They wanted God to do what they wanted. And that's not how it works. We cannot impose our will on God, nor should we try, nor should we confine our worship of God to a few moments on one day a week. And yes, I know many of you will and should be praying at home and at work. I know that many of you are, and it's great that you care for those who are your neighbours and you serve them. But, But underneath there is always a sense, if only, and we are not to be God. And if we go in to the New Testament and remember something of the passage from Mark's Gospel, that in this passage, Mark describes Jesus returning home to Nazareth. And significantly, significantly, he is accompanied by his disciples. It is important for us to understand that this is Mark's way of telling us that Jesus comes home comes home as one throughout Israel as thought to be a rabbi, a great teacher, a miracle worker, and many other things as well. But there at home 
among his own people. Jesus is unable to do anything in the way of miracle. And those who are there in Nazareth hear him but think, who is this? Just Jesus, just Mary's son, brother of James and Judas and Simon. Jesus, he's a carpenter. He's not what he was to them. They assume that they know him so well and so they are trapped by their preconceptions and so they are unable to understand who Jesus really is. And I wonder at times if any of us ever really understand who Jesus is. And then we have to say, do you see Jesus as God incarnate? Do you see Jesus and remember his promise that he would send a Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, his Spirit, to be a strength for people to use And we know how important it is to be connected and to be connected properly. And if you needed to know that, you saw it this morning as a battery was not functioning and the microphone was not working. And so the voice had to be a voice. We had to be careful as to what we think and do and believe. Mark's way of Jesus telling us that Jesus comes home as one thought to be all of the things, rabbi, teacher, miracle worker. People are to understand who Jesus really is. I had a friend of many, many years, best friends, who would have liked to believe in God. He was brought up in a home where one parent was a believer, the other parent was not. And my friend grew up with serious doubts and questions. He wanted to believe in God, but he never ever allowed himself to do it. And this ambivalence was reinforced by my friend's training, which accepted as truth only what could be proved scientifically. He could not find faith as something that he could understand and depend upon and benefit from. And each time he and I talked about Christianity, it became more clear that my friend wanted to pin God down. He needed to know everything and he wasn't aware of how he could do it. And so he rejected God as a heavenly father, as Jesus Christ as a savior and the Holy Spirit as a helper. But the interesting thing was 
when I became a minister, he never stopped talking to me about faith. And deep down, I think he had found it, but had reached a stage in life that to confess it would have seemed to make him weak. God, God's ways are not easily pinned down. Although it is central, central to our Christian faith, that God has revealed himself as creator, as provider, and all of us here at some time will have known the power of the Holy Spirit working within us. And that God that we worship is with us through life, through death, and into resurrection. It's part of the Christian faith that only God is all-knowing, that the mystery of God cannot be contained by a building, by the walls of a church or temple, or even by the most brilliant human minds. We must not make the mistake of letting our familiarity with Jesus keep us from realizing that there is a mysterious power which is beyond our ability at present to understand. Dr. William Barclay, the brilliant theologian, writes that congregations, that's you and me together, that congregations would be transformed if they understood that they themselves preach half or more of the sermons. And by that, he means the attitude which a congregation adopts to the preaching of the word. If the congregation, he says, listens in an atmosphere of expectation without preconceived ideas of what it is to be said, then God's Spirit will enable the poorest sermon to catch fire. If, however, he says, they listen in an atmosphere of critical coldness or bland indifference, then the most spirit-filled words will fall lifeless to the ground. And that doesn't say anything about whether you fall asleep or not. Don't let your assumptions so domesticate God. Don't let familiarity deaden your minds to the fresh word which is there for us all through the spirit and the love of God. God our Heavenly Father, who brings us to life, who sustains our life, and who welcomes us into his kingdom of heaven. 
and we remember the words of Jesus, I go to prepare a place for you. I would not tell you this if it were not so. A place. We will find it. For God will welcome us into his kingdom of heaven.